You're listening to Orange Blaze, a Florida Trail podcast. Hi, welcome to 2020 with the podcast. It's a new year, a new decade, and I'm excited to see where the Florida Trail goes in this decade. It has changed significantly in the last five years, I believe, at least in terms of how many people are hiking the trail. So I'm very excited to see what the next 10 years brings, and hopefully it means you know, more hikers on the trail, but you know, we're, we're not overusing the trail too much, but, and hopefully we'll be bringing more awareness to the communities and other people around the trail that the Florida trail exists and it's viable and it's worth hiking. So this episode is a Q and a ask me anything sort of episode. I had put out a question on Instagram and then on the Florida trail hikers, Facebook group, for this, hoping people would submit some questions. And I did, I got several great questions. But before I lean into that, I would like to thank everybody for listening to the podcast and give a little bit of some, I don't know, how I do my podcasts and how I how I produce them. Way back in 2014, I was on the trail show and it was the first episode the trail show had of the Florida Trail. And so it was very nerve wracking for me. It's the first podcast I had been on. And these were, you know, hiker legends to me. And they still are hiker legends, but also just humans, right? But still was pretty nerve wracking for me. And I really didn't have any guidance from them on what they wanted to know about the Florida Trail. So I drew up this whole big outline thing for myself, which was very helpful. We only covered, you know, maybe 20% of what I wrote down, but it was good that I had written everything down. So later, uh, when I started my gardening podcast, I realized that my guests probably would like an outline. And sure enough, after talking with guests over the years, especially the ones who aren't used to being in the public eye, you know, I've interviewed people who've written books and do speaking and things like that. And they usually come with their own, you know, their own list of topics to talk about. So, but for most of my guests, you know, they're just like me, they are nervous and not sure where to begin and definitely would like a few pointers. So for all of my guests, I produce an outline or a list of questions for everybody. So with that, that means that during the the podcast year, I'm thinking about who I want to talk to um, and who I think might be a good fit for the podcast. And also, I am also thinking about who is going to be engaging for me and holding my interest. And there's definitely people that I would like to talk to, but they're kind of intimidating. I mean, I'll put it out there. I was very intimidated to talk to Jim Kern, the founder of the Florida Trail, but I knew I had to do that. And it was great. He was, after you talked to him, he's fine, you know, but it's, um, you know, being a guest and then hosting the podcast, sometimes, you know, both sides of the table, you can be a little bit of uh, anxiety uh, talking to people. So that was a little anxiety for me, but it was great. So now I'm losing my track here. <laughs> Let's get back on target here. So I'm always looking for guests and hikers and people to talk to. And once I made the connection, I'll try to email them. Say, hey, I'd love to have you on the podcast. Is this of interest to you? Here's a little bit about when we can record, how I record. And um, by the way, I will be sending you an outline. And so if they're interested, that means then I go through their Instagram feed or if they have a blog or a trail journal, I pour through that and just read everything and maybe go back, you know, a couple years if they're, if they've been hiking and doing other trails and get an idea of who they are outside of 
how I may have just followed them. And some people, you know, maybe I've just started following them in the last, you know, weeks of their hike. So I'm having to go back and kind of understand everything else about them and uh, to get a little bit more of a sense of who they are and, and, and make it a well-rounded episode, right? So that takes some time is spending my time reading that, writing the outline, corresponding with people, then plus all the just general like thoughts in my head about about the podcast and getting all this stuff coordinated. And a lot of it's just unseen time and labor that is just while I'm going about my day, I'm thinking about this. So, you know, I'm spending several hours getting that all prepped up in the background. And then, you know, we schedule the time that we're going to record and hopefully everything works out and the stars align and we connect and everything's great. Let's see. Most of the time, podcasting right away on the day and time we've scheduled works out fine. In the past, I've had um, technical difficulties on both ends. Phones don't connect right. Um, My internet has sucked once. Skype failed on us once. That was the most recent episode with um, FT Thru-Hike and Chuck Norris and Tigger. That, the first time, for some reason, we just, nobody could record. Wasn't, it was on both our ends, and so we had to reschedule. So, you know, that's taking time up from everybody's schedule, and you got to hope that everybody has free time, you know, in the next few days or week or whatever. And that doesn't always work out. And I have a group of women that I'm going to hopefully record with sometime next summer. We were supposed to record last summer, and um, fail with that was Google Hangouts. Google phased out their Google Hangouts on air without any kind of alternative. And it was just like kind of sudden. (laughs) And so that really screwed things up. Um, So there are all these weird technical difficulties occasionally, but I try my best to make sure none of that happens at any time. So, and then I record an episode with whomever I'm talking with, you know, and they last from 30 minutes to an hour and some of them have been longer than that. And um, I gotta make sure they have the time to chat that long and I have the time to chat that long. And then there's post-production, which means I re-listen to the episodes again. And I do know that the first few episodes of uh, the first season, I wasn't amplifying some of the guests' recordings uh, as well. So I've been working on that. I need to go back and edit some of those again. So I have had someone pipe in to say, hey, it's really hard to hear, you know, the guests. And then you come in and you're very loud and clear. And like, yes, I do. I do know. And I just, I have not had the time to and sometimes the interest in going back and re-listening and doing all of that that again because editing sound is is actually kind of tedious and pretty time consuming so you may have an hour of audio but it could take you much more than an hour to edit that audio because you're going back and listening you are maybe editing out a lot of ums or weird pauses or tongue twisting moments on you know my my half and on the guest's behalf because you know i'll lose track of time of what i'm saying and have to go back and and say hold on let me go back to what i was going with and and they do the same thing so that can be pretty tedious so there's several hours in that then i have to record an introduction piece together the music and splice everything together and then edit that and then i have to upload it to um, my website Um, I usually don't write too much up on the podcast page itself because 
I find most people aren't really going to the podcast page to do a lot of reading. They're really going to look for links or just some highlights for, for the guests. So I pretty much keep that pretty short and to the point there. So it's just a photo from usually their Instagram page, sometimes something else, and then some links and the actual audio where you can download it. And obviously you gets pinged to most of the podcatching services and I try to keep that all up to date. And so Instagram was my only social media there up until a few weeks ago. And I recently joined Facebook only to be a part of some groups and to create the Facebook page for the Orange Blaze podcast. And that is official Orange Blaze podcast. If you'd like to follow the podcast there, there's also a group there now. Um, I'm not doing a whole lot of effort involved in promoting the podcast there yet, but I have been doing that on Instagram. And so that would involve creating a graphic for Instagram. And I was creating little audio video snippets for quite a long time. And that was actually another time consuming thing that I realized I just, I don't know if it had the same, I, I feel like it's had the same amount of reach as a photo would. And, um, and with people, you know, on their phones at work, a lot of times they're not necessarily going to be listening to that audio. So I stopped that. I, I mean, I do like it. I know people, some people liked it, but I stopped that. So I only do a graphic. I have a standard graphic for the podcast now. So all I had to really do is change the, the title and lettering and all of that and export that out. And then I have to come up with you know, what I'm going to say in the body of the Instagram post and then, you know, format all of that. And that's time consuming. And then you get to post it and monitor that page and all of that good stuff. So there, it, you know, I've never added up all the time that gets put into a single episode of the podcast, but I don't know. I'm sure it can vary between 20 to 40 hours, depending on the, the episode. And and that's why I only do one or two episodes of these podcasts a month right now. And if you're new to this, I don't, this is all basically because it's a passion project. I don't make money. I don't have a Patreon and I don't sell ads. I probably wouldn't mind doing ads at some point in time, but right now, um, it's, it's just me producing this podcast it comes out of what I make at my real job. And, um, I just like doing it. It's just fun. So, so know that when your other podcasts go to producing P Patreon accounts, it's because it is time consuming and it is, you know, you're having to pay for hosting and they're providing this content because they enjoy it, but they realize that it does, it does take a toll, um, on you and your pocketbook eventually because you're, so if you do like a podcast and they have a Patreon account, you might want to throw a few bucks their way. Um, the only reason I haven't really done a Patreon is because a lot of the Patreon is built on having other things you do on that Patreon page. So you have special podcasts or special things you're going to do. And honestly, I can only, <laughs> I feel like I only have the amount of energy in my life right now to produce the podcast and not extra things. So, you know, it's, it's me and my husband and I have a five-year-old son and we both were full-time jobs and we have other things in life. So thinking about having to do more Patreon in addition to that just doesn't seem worth it at this point. I wish there was a better funding method. Um, I know you could just do like PayPal donations and there used to be like buy through Amazon and, but you know, that Amazon member payout isn't very good anymore. So 
really it's ads or Patreon. That's really the whole platform. So the alternative is when there's nobody, when there's, there's no Patreon or ads is just to support people by letting them know you like the podcast. That's either in, you know, five-star ratings or reviews or reaching out in an email and just saying, Hey, love the podcast or, or anything like that, or just engaging with me on Instagram. That's just, that always goes a long way and makes my day DMing me, leaving a message. All of that just lets me know that, Hey, you're listening and you like the podcast. Okay. So <laughs> enough of my rambling about how I produce this podcast. Let's get to some questions. Um, I'm not going to put uh, who asked these questions because I didn't get people's permission to read their names, but I will read their questions and I'm sure you guys will know who you are. Someone asked about a tutorial for stealth camping because they had maybe done a little bit of stealth camping, but not quite a bit and wanted to hear from, I guess, professionals. And I wouldn't call myself a professional in any means. I've only hiked two long distance trails and it's been a long time now. It's been many years, but obviously the Florida Trail, there are plenty of opportunities for stealth camping because there's not really a ton of designated campsites. I will preface this by saying, follow the law. If you're on private land, somebody wants you to leave, you leave. Um, if a cop asks you to leave, leave. I'm not gonna tell you my, what I'm saying, what I say here does not mean, it's not the truth and the only truth and anything like that. Just use your best judgment <laughs> in all of these situations. As for stealth camping, look for areas that don't have posted no trespassing signs. If it has, if it's posted no trespassing, don't trespass because you don't know what's going to happen. But, you know, say you're, you find a, an easement, a right of way easement for a power line or pipeline or something like that, that maybe has a nice little alcove of trees that you can hide behind you could probably pop in there. We stealth behind a railroad easement during a road walk in somewhere between Crestview and Uglin um, on that road walk up there. Uh, it was going to be raining that day and definitely there was <laughs> some private property right next to us, but we were still kind of in that railroad easement area. And obviously if somebody had come by and asked us to leave, we would have totally have left. But we were just between, you know, fence line and the railroads. And there was a bunch of trees right there. So we were hiding out. It was raining. It was cloudy. And it was the middle of the week. So it was not like it was a weekend and people might be hunting on that property and would have seen us. So that's something else to keep in mind is uh, the time of day and time of year. Who might be using that property as well? Honestly, I don't have any like great hints or tips or places to camp like that is just kind of keeping an eye out and feeling what the best, you know, how you're feeling that at that time of day. And if you feel comfortable enough, if you're just like beat and it's five o'clock and the sun's starting to set and you really just need to get in a tent, you know, do that. Also, you can always just eat your dinner at five o'clock, walk until it's dusk and find a place to pitch and get in there when it's dark be very quiet. You know, don't use your headlamp a lot. Try to stay quiet and get in bed and then set your alarm to get up before, you know, it starts getting too light and get out of there. That would be one. And that's what we did in a pine, a plant of pine area in North Florida as well. Um, that was between Econfina and 
Ebro in that area. There's some pine plantations that did not have no trespassing signs. They were not fenced. I'm sure they were just owned by, you know, some timber company. And there was super thick pine. We made sure nobody was looking as when we ducked off into the trees and pretty far back. And I think we took some time before we set up the tent. We had dinner. And then as soon as it got dusk, we set up our tent, which was kind of orange. And so it made me think, hopefully nobody <laughs> can see us. And you just hope and just be quiet and hope that, you know, nobody's... It's nerve-wracking, I'll tell you that. It is definitely nerve-wracking. There was one area that on our way to... Oh, gosh, I can't think of the name at the moment. It was past Ebro. Before you get to Eglin, there was a roadwalk and we... we it, it was again a section that didn't have no trespassing but then we saw a guy drive by on his atv on the adjacent property and we're like i hope you don't see us i hope you don't see us and luckily not but that was a property we got out very early in the morning because it seemed like there was high activity you know i really i really wish i could give you anybody pointers on that but it's just more of a user use your own judgment ask permission if you have a chance like if you're at a church or something you know, hey, knock on their door, get permission, or or even if you're at somebody's house, just and you're really out of options. The best thing is if you have a chance is to ask permission, obviously. So I don't know if that answers your question. That's kind of rambling, but I do wish we had more. Even if we couldn't negotiate trail on some of these properties along roadwalks, I wish the Florida Trail Association would somehow at least negotiate camping locations that would be safe for hikers because it gets very hairy and I know the trail angel situation is much better than now than it was when we hiked in 2011 so there's more options of being picked up at the end of the day and uh, drop back off the next day and, and doing that for a couple days to get through those roadwalks but that was not the case in in our day so I wish you the best of luck <laughs> okay the next question is what section of the FT do you find most challenging and what section did you find most enjoyable? So most challenging. Um, I mean, look, it's, it's kind of weird looking back. I feel one way, but I know in the moments I feel a different way. In the moments I was really struggling on the levee walks after the Big Cypress Seminole Air Reservation. First of all, I carried too much water because I didn't want to filter water out of the canals, which was just dumb. Chris Spell wasn't around back then to be putting water out on levees. So um, it was filter your water or carry your water. And, you know, you know, the levee water is probably fine. There's all sorts of, you know, you get conspiracy theories about that water. It could be bad. It could be good. You know, I, who knows? But I was worried about it. So I was like, I'm going to carry my water. Well, I carry too much and the road walking just tore into my feet and my legs. And by the time we were getting close to Lake Okeechobee, I was ready to quit. I was like, let's go home. And <laughs> which was kind of dumb thinking how far in we were and we're not very far in. I was just struggling. It was one of those, I need a break. I'm ready to be done at the end of the day and all everything sucks moments. And that was, that was hard. Once we, I dumped some of the water out. Once we had that rest that night, we got on the Lake of Okeechobee the next day on the dike and, you know, the rest of that was fine. But that, that levee section was a struggle for me. It was, it was beautiful. I just, it just beat me up. 
Um, I know a section that I was really worried about was Bradwell Bay because I didn't really want to go wading through water in the cold. And it had been pretty chilly by the time we got to Apalachicola. And thankfully, <laughs> we made a call to find out about water levels just to see because it's like if the water's like more than waist deep, I just I was not interested in really dealing with that for several miles. It was one thing, you know, in Big Cypress when you have to go to the Black Lagoon or a few areas when you get like that once or twice. I wasn't interested in all of that for many miles. And I'm used to swamp walking. We used to go through Fakahatchee and Big Cypress and the Big Cypress Domes in the middle of summer and look for orchids and do all of that. And I enjoy that in the summertime or in the winter when I can go home at night and take a bath. <laughs> I was not looking forward to that in the cold and having to camp and it was just like it was a mental thing for me but when we called we found out they had just burned bradwell bay in that area and that area was closed so we had to take forest roads around and it was like ugh, kind of made my day looking back now i do want to go back to bradwell bay sometime in my lifetime to actually experience it because i know it's a cool area but i want to do it for <laughs> for a day hike or an overnight and know that it's not going and choose choose my timing to go on that i think that's kind of a, that was something that was very worried about was bradwell bay and honestly that's something i don't hear people talking about all that much when they talk about the swamp it's always like big cypress this big cypress that and people write about Bradwell Bay, but nobody's all worried about it, even though that is kind of another pretty big water area. I think those were the two most challenging sections. And again, one of them I didn't have to deal with, but is in my head, I was challenged about it. Oh, another one that I hated, which I think is your road walked around it now, is Lake Butler Forest. So once you've left Lake Butler, you had to go through some timberlands and the trail would sometimes follow like dirt roads through there and then sometimes it would follow through the timber and the way the timber was planted was in these ridges and so the trail would go like across these ridges and troughs and we were like up down up down like every few feet and you were just like riding these hor it was horrible on my hips and I hated that and eventually we found a, a piece of paper that said, hey, I think they because they clear cut part of the Florida Trail. And you could actually see where the trail would have gone because they left like stands of timber and there was a couple orange blazes in the, in the background. But somebody had posted um, some paper that said, hey, follow these white blazes or this this road around and then connect back up with the Florida Trail in a better part of the of the pine plantation. And I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> that made me so happy to have to, to not have to do that for the rest of that, that pine plantation because that was just obnoxious. Um, but I think you guys road walk around that now to until you get to Olesti Battlefield. So be, be thankful. I mean, I don't know. Maybe you're not thankful for the road walk, but uh, I can't say that the, the pine plantation was that much better, honestly. <laughs> okay. Someone asked, what's the horse situation like for the Florida Trail? So the horse situation is generally no horses on the Florida trail. However, there are some sections of trail on some public lands that do allow horses. And I think they're primarily water, uh, wildlife management areas. And because I'm, I can't remember exactly what they were, I did look at a map that Vaughn from the Florida Trail Association sent a GIS map 
uh, interactive little map of the Florida Trail and its segments, which are highlighted by what kind of traffic you can use. So it's foot traffic or bicycle or horse. And I don't think there's any like vehicular or ATV, but there might be something like that in a couple sections. But um, there's not very many horse areas on the Florida Trail, but there are a couple. So that's probably not the answer you're looking for because you sound like you might have been a horse person, but I will put that link in the show notes and you can peruse that. Okay. The next question is what inspired you to hike the Florida Trail? Um, actually, Chris, my husband, is the one that came up with the idea to hike the Florida Trail. We had hiked the Appalachian Trail in 2010 and we spent a couple months at the end of 2010 doing field work in East Texas, building our bank account back up and really just kind of pondering what we were going to be doing next. And uh, with a couple days left in wrapping that project up in December, he said, hey, we we have our bank account back up and we have a few months before this other project starts. Why don't we go to the Florida Trail? We can do it in, you know, two months and then we'll be back and we'll be able to go do this other job. And it took me a second. It's like, well, yeah, that sounds great because I've been wanting to go hike again. You know, I had been you know, having a little bit of trail depression from post AT and, and wanting to do that. And so we basically launched into planning the Florida trail within like three weeks of us setting off. I mean, you know, if we, you, you do one long trail, you kind of get an idea of what you need for the rest of it. And we, you know, looked on the Florida trail association website, made sure our membership was up to date. We got the permits we needed, filled all of that out. We, researched our mail drops that we wanted to do. We coordinated with a friend who could drop us food uh, in two places and just called some friends and said, hey, can we crash with you guys for a couple nights before we start? Oh, by the way, can you drop us off at on Loop Road? <laughs> and went from there. So, and we'd been out of Florida for a year at that, almost a year at that point. Um, we left Florida in February of 2010 before we went on the AT. So it was basically kind of like a reunion hike of remembering our love of, of Florida while we lived there. And, um, and to be honest, I didn't ever really think about hiking the Florida trail too much. I do know we defended it a lot on AT because we'd hear some negative things about it and just what we knew about Florida and hiking were like, it doesn't deserve that. But I don't think in my head, I thought, Hey, we'll have to go to the Florida trail next. But it was Chris who thought that and the timing was right and we, we were in good shape still and it just worked out perfect. And I remember reading trail journals in the mid 2000s of the Florida Trail and uh, there weren't too many of them. But and that's kind of how I thought it was going to be for us. And still and it was there wasn't that many people that hiked it that year. Um, but it, we lucked out. We had a friend from the AT that was going to be hiking the trail and we ended up meeting up with him about halfway through and hiked around him quite a bit. And, uh, I don't know, it was, it worked out great. And I, who knew that I was going to fall for the Florida trail so hard and love it so much. And here I am with a podcast later. Okay. The next one is how are you introducing your little one to natural lands? Um, so like I said, I have a five-year-old, um, we had him in 2014. Um, and with a few months after he was born, you know, we were out hiking. Um, I had a ergo baby carrier. So he was strapped either when he was little or strapped to my front. And then later when he got bigger, I strapped him to my back. I think one of his first hikes was at this place called Hamilton Pool in Austin. 
And we just, you know, started taking him on hikes, you know, either with our stroller or on that carrier as much as we could and being outside with him and really um, getting into car camping was probably the bigger thing for us. I know a lot of backpackers are like, ah, oh, car camping. And it is you have so much more stuff. <laughs> you could, you could, you could car camp on less, but we, we don't, we we're somewhere between, you know, a backpacker and then, you know, somebody that has like a pop-up trailer, <laughs> I would say. Um, we do have a nice inflatable air mattress. We don't, we don't live, uh, on backpacker style at all when we car camp. And I definitely recommend doing car camping if you really want to get to know a particular park pretty well, cause you can camp there and then go out and hike all day, come back and really kind of get to know that area and, and enjoy an evening and enjoy hiking a little bit differently. So I think that was probably one of the best ways that we introduced him to being in the natural world is just by car camping. And we would make our reservations several months ahead of time. Um, because a lot of the popular parks here in Texas fill up pretty fast so, you know, camp, you know, three or four times in the fall, it's hit or miss in the winter here in Texas. We have some nice times and then we get these cold rainy seasons. And so a lot of times we would have to cancel and then a few times in the spring and then summer we'd never camp because it's just too, too horribly hot. We'll do a lot of hiking or going to the beach or things like that in the summer, but um, I feel like Texas and Florida are even just a little bit different. Like, I don't know. It was easier to get out in Florida in the summertime than it is in Texas. And it's just kind of oppressively hot, <laughs> which I know, I know Florida gets, but it's just different. So that's really the best thing to do is just go camping, take them when they're young, get them immersed in it. Um, there's going to be cranky periods of time. There's going to be times I don't want to be out there. You're going to go a lot slower than you want to go, but be there for them hike at their own pace and make it enjoyable because if, the, if they're not enjoying it, you're not going to enjoy it and they're not going to be back out there. Um, we did take him on his first backpacking trip when he was two on a, two and a half, I think, um, carried him in a Osprey Poco premium. I think is it, it's got a hard frame, um, on the outside. Um, you can carry a few things in it, but you know, your main weight is going to be a, you know, 20 to 30 pound kid, on your back and Chris would carry him. I would pretty much carry a lot of our gear and uh, we would do a lot of hiking that way. I've only done a couple backpacking trips with him, but he's always been, now that he can walk, you know, many miles, uh, his most mileage is six, but now that he can watch walk several miles, he does really well. Next question is, are parts of Florida trail down South always underwater? Definitely not. Um, as you guys have seen this year, uh, or at least earlier in the season in December, there was not so much water in Big Cypress that people were having trouble finding water to drink and people were getting dehydrated. And that was actually kind of almost the case the first time we hiked Big Cypress. We walked through, uh, I think it was in March. So, you know, Florida's wet and dry seasons, the later you go into spring, it gets so much, it gets more dry. And so like, even up to May, it can be really dry out there. A lot of even the water conservation area lands will close to airboat traffic because there won't be any water. Um, and this is all partly due to the natural cycles 
So a lot of it is due to how the South Florida Water Management District manages water com coming from Lake Okeechobee and the Northern Water Conservation Areas and how they're going to move that water south. And there's a lot of battles about that. And uh, so it's a combination of all of those different things. So yeah, the later in the season that you hike on the Florida Trail, you definitely going to run into less water in the Big Cypress area. Of course, that can change definitely seasonally. I've, if there's a, been a kind of a droughty summer or fall, you'll, you could have less water. And then if it's been rainy, you get a late season hurricane. That could be a lot of water. Um, and it really just depends... You know, sometimes it's nice to have that water because you can kind of, I mean, you can move through the water pretty well. You're just going to get wet and you're going to have to deal with wet feet. I think sometimes when you're dealing with less water and it's more muddy, it's definitely a lot more difficult to be, <laughs> to be moving in mud versus just, you know, cruising in the water, but also, you know, dealing with that unconsolidated surface, you know, it's kind of iffy uh, in, in both ways. I don't know. I prefer... I don't know. I prefer a good mix of both, but you know, you're going to find these wet areas all throughout Florida. I mean, just because Big Cypress is the main wet area, you're not going to have, doesn't mean you're not going to have other sections where there's wet areas. Um, there's plenty of wetlands. Florida's a wetland. There's lots of water here. You're going to be getting your boots wet in many other areas of the state, especially when you get up to like uh, the Tai Tai swamps and the Tai Tai sloughs up in Apalachicola and the Panhandle. There's plenty of water up there. I mean, I just mentioned Bradwell Bay earlier. Water. <laughs> so, you know, just make your peace with it. It's going to be there. Um, and then kind of another backtrack, because I didn't get to say what my favorite, most enjoyable section was earlier. Um, the next question was about my favorite section of the Florida Trail and why. So those two kind of go together. I don't... <laughs> you know, every time I ask people what their favorite section are, they, you know, they give me five different things. And a lot of times it's people saying the same things over and over again. And I'm, I'm no different than anybody else. I love Big Cypress, but I also love Big Cypress for reasons that aren't for the Florida Trail. I love Big Cypress because it's a swamp, because of the epiphytes, because of the dwarf cypress strands of um, the Florida Panther, for the vast wilderness, for memories from my job and memories from hiking. I love Big Cypress for a lot of different reasons. Um, it's definitely high up there on one of my favorite sections of trail. I loved the Suwannee River section because it was so quiet for us. There was nobody on the river, really. It was There were days we hiked in like fog and mist. And so the coming around the bends in the, in the river, some areas were obscured or we had like areas of the river that we couldn't quite see as well and gosh it was just such a I don't know kind of mystical situation on the Suwannee River I, I really enjoyed that section a lot and one of my favorite sections was the Econfina uh, Creek section which was destroyed by Hurricane Matthew um, and it makes me so sad to think about what was lost on that section because that was a one of those treats, like I didn't know what we were going to be coming up and hiking on during that day. And it was just, that hike was very enjoyable. And it was just ugh, amazing. And I think one of the first areas we kind of got to see how Florida was changing in its terrain and resembling a little bit of like Southern Alabama and Southern Georgia. And it kind of made, made me think a little bit about the AT in some aspect 
And Eglin actually did that even more for me. There was a section on the west side that had these bluffs and little ravines. And you look down and you're like, are we, are we sure we're not in the foothills of the Appalachians? <laughs> and it just made me just uh, wanted to keep going. Honestly, when I finished the Florida Trail, I could have taken a week off and gone straight back to the AT. That's how good I felt after we had finished the FT. I didn't feel as beaten down as I did after the AT. The AT, I was like, I'm done. My knees hurt. I need to rest. But the FT, I could have just taken a week off, get some more calories in me, slept a little bit. I'd been ready to go. So I kind of feel sad that <laughs> I didn't get to go and do that afterwards. Um, other sections that I really like... Oh, you know, we loved, and the trail is not on this route anymore, and it really saddens me that it's not. I wish, I wish it had been an alternate route, this choose-your-own-adventure. The Hickory Hammock, the left side, the left side, the west side of Kissimmee River. Now the trail goes up through Mico Bluff to the Kissimmee Prairie Preserve State Park, which Kissimmee Prairie Preserve, raise your hands, because that's like an awesome place, but... Hickory Hammock and up through um, the bombing range on the west side of the Kissimmee River is also pretty spectacular. And we have hiked that section several times just for fun. And there's a lot of orange and citrus on that section. And we that was probably one of the highlights is just being able to like get citrus and oranges and, and grapefruit and things like that. And so, and but there was just these beautiful oak hammocks in there and saw palmetto thickets. And I'm really, really sad that the trail does not go through there. I know logistically it makes sense because you're avoiding the bombing range and you're avoiding a roadwalk to get down to it. But I wish, I wish there had been a way to make that section still work. So if, if you're in Florida and you want to go hike that area and you, I don't even, there's a boardwalk that goes over a slough that I don't know if you, I don't think it's maintained anymore. So you may not be able to get across that one wetland unless you wanted to swim. <laughs> but I loved that section. It was probably a highlight for me going on that, that section of trail. Well, I think this episode is probably long enough of me rambling. I hope those questions and answers were fun. Hope the little bit of insight from the podcast background gave you a little bit more information about how I do the podcast. I don't know if it really answered any questions or if you were interested in it at all, but I wanted to put that out there a little bit for you. Um, I will also be at Billy Goat Day here in a few weeks, and I can't wait to meet some of you guys. Please come up and talk to me. I would love to record uh, current hikers, past hikers, just sit down and chit chat. I don't know how I'm going to put together these episodes, but I do want to get people recorded and on tape. I'm bringing a portable recorder, which I'm actually recording this episode on to test it out. And um, yeah, I would love to sit down and chat. I also have podcast stickers now. So if you see me come, I have two, about 200 of them, 100 of two different types. Um, I will be handing some of those out as well. And if you want some and not are, are not going to be attending Billy Goat Day, just drop me an email and I can mail you some. Let me wait till after Billy Goat Day and see how many I have left. I may have to reorder them before I mail any out, but I will have those available for you guys. 
Thank you guys so much. I hope you have a wonderful hiking year. If you're on the Florida trail this year, happy trails. I hope it's awesome. I hope you it lives up to the expectations. I hope it goes beyond whatever expectations you may have and have a safe hike. All right. That's it for the podcast. Thank you guys for listening.